Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Merry Christmas almost, and uh, we're glad you're here. Pray with me. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we, we come uh, in this beautiful Christmas season, uh, this season of Advent, of waiting and anticipating uh, remembering your coming and anticipating your coming again. And we pray now that you would help us in the midst of all that's going on in our lives, all that's going on in our community, all that's going on in our world, uh, that you would help us to put aside those things that clamor for our attention other than you. And we pray that you would open our eyes, as the psalmist said, that we may see wonderful things from your word. Maybe things we've never seen before. And we pray that you would open our minds like you did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Open our minds that we may understand the scriptures, your truth, your story uh, of your incarnation. And unlock that part of us that most directly relates to you by your grace. Grant us grace uh, to be willing to respond in faith and trust and obedience uh, to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, most of the time when we come to the, uh, the story of God's great story of, of the incarnation, of the coming of Jesus, we, we go to the, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, but the Apostle Paul summed up the Christmas story way back over in the beautiful uh, little book, the, the epistle of um, uh, Galatians. If you take your Bibles, either open a hard copy or turn on a digital copy uh, of your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 today. So when you get there, here we go. This is God's Word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's Christmas. That's it. And so what this has to say to you and me is that Jesus came. uh, He comes for you and he comes for me. And he came at just the right time in just the right way for just the right reason. And so uh, if we grasp that and we experience that by faith, everything changes for us for the better. And so let's look at that. Uh, let's, let's get to work. Jesus came and was born at just the right time. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come. I love that beautiful poetic language. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son. God the Father chose the time for the coming of Christ into the world, for the incarnation, for God taking on flesh and, and dwelling among us. Uh, he, didn't, he was not surprised. He didn't say, oh, here's an opportunity. From, from uh, before time began, uh, he had determined this plan and knew the perfect time, the fullness of time, just the right time to optimize his purposes in this world, and Jesus came. So, well, what was that time, Pastor? Well, we, we have the, the, um, uh, the fortune, the good fortune, you and I do, now from a historical perspective, to look back on it 
and see what the Scriptures meant when Paul said, in the fullness of time, at just the right time. And it increases our faith. It increases our trust in the Lord to see what God did in such an amazing fashion. Well, this fullness of time, this just right time, uh, was the time when Roman civilization, for example, had, uh, had brought peace to the Mediterranean world, the, the known world at that, at that time. Uh, the previous uh, hundred years of the Roman Republic had been a time of civil wars, uh, yet, but at the beginning of the reign of Augustus Caesar in 27 BC, there began a 207-year period of relative peace all around the Mediterranean world that had not been experienced before, a two-century-long uh, stable society which brought about an ideal time for the gospel of Jesus Christ in there to spread throughout the, all, the, uh, uh, the entire known world. Uh, it only ended at the time of the death of Marcus Aurelius. After that came some more uh, disorder. But God knew just the right time in the fullness of time. And this time was also the time when the Roman road system had uh, facilitated human travel in the Mediterranean world like never before. Never before. It's a... It's shocking to us. You know, we have, um, I don't know what to call it. Uh, Somebody help me. I'm an ignorant guy, but maybe generational or, uh, uh, well, haughtiness or pride. We think we're, you know, because we live now that we're much smarter than people who lived back then. We're not. We're not. Evidenced by the fact that the Romans uh, created a network of uh, over 50,000 miles of paved roads around the Mediterranean world. 50,000 miles, and it facilitated travel uh, uh, more easily and safely than had ever been experienced in the history of mankind and made it easy, the easiest it had ever been for God's message to spread around the entire world. At just the right time, Jesus came. And this, this fullness of time, this just right time, was also a time when the Greeks had created a language that became the common known language all around the Mediterranean world. Uh, Koine Greek or street Greek or common Greek. And uh, it was adopted as the universal language of the world at that time. Uh, Starting around uh, 300 B.C. to around 300 A.D., everybody understood it, everybody spoke it. Uh, Approximately a 600-year period of time, there was a common language. And it became the language... Uh, in which the the New Testament was written and uh, in which this great thing God did, the Septuagint, which is the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, people had and could understand the message of God as it came in written form all around the world, like never before, in the fullness of time. Uh, when the gospel could be most easily uh, spread. And this time, this fullness of time was also the time when the, uh, the Jews, because of their dispersion, all again, all over the Mediterranean world, they had set up houses of worship called synagogues in every community where there were um, uh, a gathering of the Jewish people. And they had been proclaiming a, a monotheistic God and looking forward to the day when a Messiah would come, even though they didn't quite understand how all that was going to work out, 
They'd been proclaiming that all around the, that, that civilized world for uh, 400 years. Well, everybody else in the world were polytheists. I mean, they, they believed in a whole bunch of gods. I mean, you just think if we hadn't had the whole bunch of gods, we wouldn't have had the Avenger movie series. You know, the polytheists, you know, they created all that. And it's all, Thor and all of his buddies, you know, and, uh, and well, Thor was Norse, but you get the picture. Uh, uh, so... Um, Zeus and you know, Athena and Diana and the Greeks and the, the Romans, everybody was polytheistic, all kinds of gods, but not the Jews, not the Jews. They kept saying, no, there's one God, and somehow we've got these prophecies. He's going to send this Messiah figure to make a way for all us. They had been proclaiming that all over the known world. At just the right time, God sent forth His Son. It was supernatural intervention. It was divine intentionality. And so the coming of Jesus was not an accidental uh, happening. At Christ, not only that, but Jesus was not created at his birth. Jesus always existed. He always was with God the Father, and he was always God himself. So where in the world do you get that, Pastor? Well, turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, speaking of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word. He always existed, already existed. Uh, in 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 the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When it's referring to that, it's talking about at the, just the right time God sent forth His Son. It's a miracle. It's amazing. Um, he became, and it's outrageous. Now, I said, when I said to all of you, God took on flesh, became a person, and dwelt among us, you all just looked at me. Why? You're used to hearing this. This is nuts. This is outrageous. Wait a minute. God created the world and then decided, I'm going to, I'm going to enter into my own creation and become a man. What? What? Uh, don't let familiarity numb you to the mystery, to the miracle, uh, to the majesty of what God has done uh, to save you and me and, and mankind and redeem uh, the world. Uh, he became a human being and dwelt among us. The living God decided to live in our world as Jesus of Nazareth. So it was Jesus came for you and me at just the right just the right time. And he also came in just the right way. Write that down. He came in just the right way. Verse 4 goes on to tell us that God sent forth his son, born of woman. Now, the scriptures say that he was not only born of a woman, but he was born of a virgin woman. So you're just sitting there like, well, that's no big deal. That's a big deal. (laughs) That's a big deal. How many of you, first service, almost nobody had done this. How many of you ever come across the little book written, I think in the 1930s, entitled The Cotton Patch Gospel? Leroy, I knew you'd you'd seen that book. Isn't it wonderful? And how many of you have been to the musical that was produced of the book, The Cotton Patch Gospel? You've seen that. Oh, dear. Well, anyway... Uh, let me, there's a guy named, uh, a, a Southern Baptist theologian named Clarence Jordan, as they say it in South 
Georgia, who lived down around Americas. He is actually the theological uh, catalyst for what we know now as Habitat for Humanity. And back in, he's trying to communicate this message of the gospel. And so back in the 30s, I think he was in the 30s, he wrote this cotton patch gospel. He kind of transliterated and took the, took the gospel story of, the, of Jesus and he wrote it in like, you know, deep, the deep south in the 1930s. And in the musical, they produced a song about this. Did y'all hear about this virgin birth they're talking about up in Gainesville? Now see y'all laughed then. Because then it, it kind of seems ridiculous that there's, there was a virgin who gave birth to a baby in Gainesville. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's what they were doing around Galilee on the backside of Galilee. Well, this virgin girl gave birth to a baby. Right, right, right. This is nuts. This is outrageous. But God said, it's my part of my plan. He was born in just the right way. Matthew, in his account, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 quotes the prophecy of the great Jewish prophet uh, Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Here it is. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is with us. Now, we human beings... um, in the West, have a little difficulty with miracles. But a miracle is defined... Here, here's one, one definition that I've come across. An event or action that apparently contradicts known scientific laws and is hence thought to be due to supernatural causes, especially to an act of God. Again, we human beings in the West have... Uh, a tendency to kind of write off, dismiss any acknowledgement of the supernatural. And we do so by circular reasoning. It goes like this. A, there is no such thing as the supernatural. B, only natural laws exist in the universe. C, therefore, miracles do not exist nor can they happen. I mean, this starts showing up in our minds as little kids. I heard about the little seven-year-old boy in Sunday school uh, one Christmas time, one Sunday, and the teacher said, uh, okay, we're going to talk about faith. Can anybody here tell me what faith is? And he raised his hand. He said, yes, I can. Faith is believing in something you know is not really true. You just know it's not really true. This, we're celebrating. We know this is not really true. We, we write off. We start with A. There is no such thing as the supernatural. Only natural laws exist in the universe. Therefore, miracles do not exist, nor can they happen. Now, the problem with this is circular reasoning starts with an assumption. And an assumption is by nature a statement of faith, not fact. This is what I mean when I say every human being is religious. And so I'm I'm not religious. I'm not a Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist. No, no, I'm not. I don't believe in... No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying every person is religious because everybody has a basic assumption to make sense out of life. And if you get down to the bottom line, it is a faith statement. You see, you can't prove or disprove that there's no such thing as the supernatural. I mean, by scientific proof, because the supernatural, by definition, exists outside of the material world. And the scientific method is only designed to test and confirm uh, the natural, the created, what's in the created order. You can't prove or disprove it. It's a statement of faith. There is no such thing as the supernatural. 
Only the natural exists, therefore miracles can't exist. It's a, uh, and I think, I don't think it lines up with reality. So it's interesting that one of the most uh, renowned and respected historians and scientists in ancient history, Dr. Luke, who was the writer of the Gospel, Luke is the one who proclaims to us most clearly the reality of the virgin birth. He said in Luke 1.37, nothing will be impossible with God. Now, wait a minute. This is not some mystic. This is not some goofball out in the desert. This is your family doctor down the street. This is a guy who has had the best training. Who now Think about this. Not just Dr. Luke, but anyone in this room who has uh, had sixth grade biology would say, this, it would war against our knowledge to say that a virgin could conceive and bear a child. And bear a child. But Luke is the one who gives the beautiful account of the virgin birth of Christ. He, it is a miracle of God. Now, it's, it's a, a miracle with a, of at least three kinds. First of all, it's a prophetic miracle. Second, it's a biological miracle. Third, it's a moral miracle. Now, here's what I mean by that. We've already mentioned the prophecy. The virgin birth of Jesus is a prophetic miracle. It is beyond the laws of science and nature that any human being can accurately predict the future, even five minutes from now. And yet the virgin birth of Christ was the fulfillment of a wonderful prophecy given uh, at least 700 years before his birth. We've already read it, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, this is certainly unique in that it could be no ordinary birth. And so we see that it fulfills uh, this prophecy in, um, in Scripture. So it's a, it's a prophetic miracle, but not only that, it's a biological miracle. We're already thinking that from the very uh, beginning. It is beyond the laws of science and nature that a woman can conceive a child without the participation of a man. I mean, even in our modern scientific age, when we're probably crossing some lines with reproductive technology, probably crossing some ethical lines that God says, this is not going to really be good for humanity, uh, still, you can't get past this law of nature that God put in place, that a woman cannot conceive a child without the participation of a man in some fashion. Yet this is exactly what took place with the birth of Christ. Mary was a virgin. She was an unmarried young woman who had had no sexual relations with any man uh, by her own admission. So you say, well, pastor, how could this possibly be? Well, that's what Mary asked. I mean, that's what gives this credibility to me some is she said, what? I'm a kid. I'm 15 years old, or sorry, somewhere thereabout. And uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35, Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Gabriel makes it clear. God did this. So, well, Pastor, how did he do it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's part of the mystery. He's God and we're not. He's bigger than us. He can do things we can't do. Supernatural. If he, if he is the creator, he has power over creation. He can intervene anytime he wants to. He's a big God. 
He's beyond my comprehension. And so uh, it is a biological miracle. Luke says nothing will be impossible with God. It's a prophetic miracle. It's a biological miracle. It's also a moral miracle. And that's the one we're pretty pumped about. Because it is beyond the laws of science and nature and the laws of morality. And there are, there are laws of morality. God says what is good and what is not. It is beyond the laws of morality, science and nature, that a human being could be born and live a life of moral and spiritual perfection. Yet that is exactly what took place. For the book of Hebrews tells us uh, that Jesus, even though he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. He was not tainted by sin at all. It was necessary for the Redeemer to be born of a woman, as verse 4 in uh, Galatians 4 says, because uh, he needed to be of the same nature of those of us whom he came to save. It was also necessary, just as important, that he be perfectly holy. And uh, because no sinful being can accomplish the atonement for the sin of all other human beings, sinful human beings. And yet it was a moral miracle. God performed it. Nothing is impossible with God. And it opened the door for our salvation. That is why we dress up and we put beautiful red poinsettias everywhere and lights and give gifts and sing and feast and, and are full of joy because... He performed a moral miracle that enabled moral and spiritual fallups just like you and me to be cleansed and forgiven and redeemed and adopted into His family. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus came at just the right time in the fullness of time. And He came in just the right way. And He also was born just for the right reason. The right reason. And this one's a little dark. Listen to this. It has a dark side to it. Verses 4 and 5. He was born under the law. That means he, he was born, came into a world that was under the standard of God's moral and ethical uh, standards of, of right and wrong and what is good and what is bad is revealed in the Scriptures. And he came to those under the law. It means we're responsible to God for our, uh, how we relate in these matters so that we might be redeemed and so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we need to talk about the dark side of Christmas. The solemn side means that, is that He came, the good news, He came, but He had to come for a sad reason that we had fallen away. Now, I spent a lot of time on this last week. You can go back and listen to that. don't have time to unpack that today. But uh, the reason that Jesus came to earth is that we, we had received some bad news. We were separated from God by our sin. And the Bible just characterizes like, us like this. We're living, we're living in darkness. We're living in darkness. And um, that's why He came. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner and all people are sinners in need of a Savior. And so i got a question for you. As we look at the Christmas story... Uh, what person do you most relate to in all of the accounts of the Christmas story in the Scriptures? You, you most identify with. Is it Mary? Is it Joseph? Maybe one of the wise men? Uh, maybe one of the angels? Well, the scary truth is that the Bible explains there is someone that you and I are most like in the account, and it's none of those. It's King Herod. 
Ooh, no kidding. You must say, I'm not like him. Well, hang on. I think you're going to find that you are. I'm going to, and I find that I am. You see, there are little King Herod sitting on the throne of our hearts, of every man, woman, boy, and girl. The account in Matthew chapter 2 says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, or wise men as we call them, asking, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Now, when when influential uh, people walk into the throne room and say to the one sitting on the throne, hey, where's the true king? the person on the throne gets a little anxious and disturbed. And he did. They said, we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And the reason that any time Herod got disturbed, people died. I mean, you just read the history books. So, you know, when Herod got disturbed, all Jerusalem got a little disturbed. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right. Right. Now, we all know he was was lying to them, correct? He was lying. Um, If you jump on down to the later in the chapter, you'll see the wise men found uh, the babe in Bethlehem. And when they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, right in the middle of the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until Herod's death. The wise men walked into the palace in Jerusalem asking the person sitting on the throne, where is the king? And the guy on the throne got alarmed. He wanted to be king no matter what, and so he got a plan to eliminate this new threat. I'm not going to have a new king. I'm going to be king. I'm not going to have a real king. There's not going to be a king above me. I'm going to be king. And um, you say, well, how am I like him? Well, my problem and your problem Uh, is that we all, in every human heart, the book of Romans tells us, in every human being, uh, there is a heart that is the natural enemy of God. The natural enemy of God is king over our lives. Now, we are very good at hiding this. Uh, The book of Romans says that we are all guilty of suppressing the truth. That means not only to other people, we don't want to appear like, hey, I'm an enemy of God, I'm at, I'm at war with God, and we don't really want to think of ourselves in that light. I mean, we say, well, I, I like God, but we'd like Him to be our servant. We want to be God, we want Him to be our servant. Now, we know He can do all these wonderful things. We want a genie who can, we want to live right so that we can manipulate God. What was that, Allison, we were talking about yesterday, the term we learned, a transactional relationship with God? I'm going to be good, so you have to do what I want you to do. And when you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to get mad and go home. You know, we we want God to serve us. We want to still be our own uh, Savior. And the Bible says we are at, at enmity with God. We are enemies of God as king over our lives. And we don't want... What is that? We just don't want anyone else telling us what to do. Have you ever felt that in you? Really? Have you ever felt that in you? I have. 
Yeah, from a little kid. From the time we have words, we turn to the people around us, whether it's our parents or our older siblings, and say, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) Right? You're not the boss of me. It is in us. And yet when Jesus came at Christmas, he was declaring this, I am the real king. I am the real king. That means ultimate authority. And if that is true, you and I must give up control of our lives. We can't be king or queen of our lives. Herod couldn't stay king of the Jews. No, 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 no. If Jesus, I'm the true king, you're off the throne. If that's true, we have to give up control of our lives. And we don't want to do that. There is no higher value in the United States of people in the United States than personal autonomy. There's no higher value. You see, every, in every culture where people live, the culture, without their permission and largely without know, them knowing it, is pressing you into its mold. It is forming you and forming me. That's what the Bible calls the world and says, don't let the world press you into its mold. But, all, but we have, as a culture, one of the great characteristics, we've been pressed into the mold of the culture to say, I am king and queen of my own life. I mean, for example, what was uh, Frank Sinatra's greatest hit? I did it my way. You know, and, and that's why you're all singing that. And I'm all, we're singing that. I did it my way. Doesn't matter if I took life's blows. Did it my, I want to do it my way. And yet Jesus says, mm, I came at Christmas. This means I'm the true king. And if you want in my family... And if you want life to be better, and if you want real life in this life and eternal life in the next, you got to step off the throne and bow your knee. I mean, even no less of great philosopher and theologian than Bono with you too. In oh, he's, he is a good one. In his in his uh, their great hit Vertigo, you get right down to the end of that song, and he's crying out to God, and he says this because he, he recognized the great love of God poured out on us at Christmas and that Christ came. He said, your love is teaching me to kneel. Go up and look, look at the lyrics. That's what he's talking about. The love of God in Christ Jesus not only helps us recognize that He is King and, and, and deserves to be King over our lives, but because of His love, it teaches us, it enables us, it even gives us the desire by the grace of God to step off the throne and turn around and kneel before our King Jesus who came at Christmas. He came at just the right time, in just the right way, for just the right reason. Now... It's a December Sunday morning in the deep south, and there's a whole bunch of people in a church building. probably means that most of you are followers of Jesus. At some point in your life, you'd look back and say, I repented of my sin, I placed my faith in Jesus and surrendered to Him as Lord of my life. What's the message to you and to me? Well, this is why Jesus says, um, because of this question, who is your true king, it's why Jesus said in Luke 9.23 that daily... Daily, daily, you and I must die to self and take up our cross and follow Him. We must die to ourself, take, our, take our, up our cross, which means we crucify ourselves daily. We give up 
We say, I'm not going to be God. I'm going to, your love is teaching me to kneel. I'm going to kneel once again, surrender all I am and have to you as my Lord and my God, my Savior and my King, my ultimate authority and follow Him. We're to do that daily. And so I would say the reason that you and I must do this is because you and I, you say, well, I'm already a Christian. It's because, have you noticed we still have leftovers in our soul and even in our bodily tendencies of this leftovers uh, of this uh, of this anger and hostility toward the rule and reign of God over our lives we'll have a tendency uh, i'm going to i'm going to forget and i'm going to i'm going to do what i want to do that's why we need to be very serious about our christian growth and about our spiritual practices whatever those practices are that help you get really close to jesus and stay there This Christmas, keep practicing those. Bible intake, prayer, corporate worship, sharing your faith, giving of tithes and offerings, stewardship, serving God's purposes in this world. Whatever those sacred pathways are that help you get really close to Jesus and stay there, practice those daily so that He keeps noodling around in your heart and cleaning out the leftovers of that anger and hostility toward the kingship of God over our lives. You say, well, are we ever going to get that done? Not here. That's called glorification when you step out of this world into the next and He perfects you. And while you won't become sinless, you will sin less. If you walk with Him. Got it? So Christians, stick with it. Stick with it. Just know that's that's what's going on with us. Now, for those of you here who may not yet be Christians, you may have realized for the first time today, I need, I need to be redeemed and adopted. What must I do? Well, three things. You must repent of your sin, repent of your rebellion against the kingship of God over your life, of Christ over your life. Admit it. I've been a self-centered, self-righteous uh, person living in rebellion. That's called sin. I'm separated from God. I want to turn from it and redirect my life. And I believe in you, Jesus. You place your active trust in Jesus. And what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead, atoning for your sin, making a way for you, and surrender to Him as Lord of your life. And some of you are ready to do that right now. So pray with me. Let me lead you through a prayer time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Once again, there's nothing magical about these words. This is not an incantation. This is a prayer. Uh, God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if these words express the attitude of your heart, then make it your own prayer. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I need You. I confess my rebellion against your kingship over my life. And I'm sorry. And I repent of my sin. And I step down off the throne, the control room of my life. And I kneel before you in submission as my Lord and my God. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and forgive and cleanse me. 
Come in as my Lord, my God, my King, and take control of me. And I commit to follow you and serve you as you give me strength all the days of my life. Now there's one more thing. After we've repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus, Jesus commands us to go public with our faith and confess Him before people. He even gave us the way to do that. It's called believer's baptism. And so some of you are ready to do that. We are prepared to help you celebrate your Christian baptism. If you will uh, let us know that uh, you want to be baptized by using the Dogwood response card here in just a second, then uh, our team will be in touch with you and schedule that celebration. In fact, I want all of you to take that response card. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, let me know by on the back of that card, top left-hand corner, checking that statement. Uh, If you uh, desire to be baptized, let us know by using that card. Now, some of you Christians have realized, you know, I've been uh, a disobedient child. I've been already, I was saved, but I got into rebellion and got away from God. But this makes sense to me. I am coming back to Christ as my Lord this morning. And we call that sometimes making a recommitment of our life to Christ. If that's you, check that statement on the card. When you turn it in, I want to send some materials to you uh, that will help you stay on the path with Him. Uh, They helped me greatly. I want to pass those along to you as well. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for uh, hearing these prayers. Thank You for what You've done to make a way for us. This morning, we look back. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, to your arrival to accomplish all these great things. And we give you thanks. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.